In Southeast Agnet's Ag and Review for the week ending December the 19th, it's been reported that Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack will not pursue efforts to create another beef checkoff under the 1996 Commodity Promotion Law. According to an article written by Chris Clayton with DTM Progressive Farmer, a policy writer in the federal appropriations bill passed by Congress prevents USDA from spending any funds to create a second beef checkoff. Vilsack said people in the beef industry made it clear they didn't want USDA to pursue a parallel checkoff to the current $1 per head assessment, so he's happy they could at least find an area of agreement. Vilsack said it's the first time in three years they have agreed on anything, so he hopes they can build on that foundation to figure out a way in which the differences and divisions that occur could be rectified, so they ultimately come to me with recommendations for improvements and changes in the current beef checkoff program. Bill Saxetti has made every effort to get the Beef Industry Working Group to get together and seek an agreement. He said some are satisfied with the current checkoff, some are not, but all believe we need additional money. So common sense would suggest and dictate that people get in a room, give a little bit, and come out with a consensus position to increase the checkoff and do a better job of promoting, researching, and marketing beef. 2014 has been a very busy year for many staff members at USDA, and Secretary Vilsack told Southeast Agnet one big reason why is we did get a new farm bill this year. You know, the farm bill allowed us to reinstitute our trade promotion programs, and I'm really pleased and proud of the fact that we set yet another record in agricultural trade at $152 billion, uh, gave us a new opportunity to leverage resources and uh, partner with folks across the country in terms of regional conservation. Uh, we're expecting, anticipating good projects, and we were, we're not disappointed. Uh, over 250 uh, solid projects were proposed under the RCPP program. Uh, we expect to make some decisions after the first of the year there. Uh, we've set up the new research foundation. Uh, we've obviously got the ARC and PLC safety net programs out uh, for folks to look at. The website gives them, again, the ability to do some calculations about their particular farm uh, and their particular operation to make that important decision sometime. Uh, early next year. So uh, a lot going on on the farm safety net side. And then, of course, uh, we've seen expanded access to new crop insurance programs, uh, the new stacks program for cotton growers, uh, the SCO program uh, that allows people to buy up a little additional coverage, uh, supplemental coverage. Uh, just a tremendously busy year in many, many respects. A record number of uh, farm loans, a record number of microloans, uh, real focus on beginning farmers, and then we've got all the rural development programs and uh, a lot of the research projects that are being done. So, real busy year for USDA. To learn more about any of these programs, go to usda.gov. Tyron Spearman reported this week about how peanut butter is helping with world hunger. As peanut farmers plan for the new crop year, they're hearing more and more about peanuts and peanut butter being used in world hunger programs. The American Peanut Council is reporting that they are working with four U.S.-based suppliers to supplies USAID and the World Food Network with the items for solving the hunger problem. The companies are Tabachnik, Adicia, Mana, and Breedlove. There's also some international producers such as Project Peanut Butter in Malawi, Sierra Leone, and Ghana. Another is Meds and Foods for Kids and Partners in Health. That one is located in Haiti. And another one they're working with is Nutriset Plumpy Nut. It's based in France. The worldwide demand for RUTF, or ready-to-use therapeutic food, and ready-to-use supplemental food, or RUSF, is now estimated it could reach as much as 100,000 metric tons, three times that estimated to be needed a year ago. And they're saying now that UNICEF and other world food distributor companies are using peanut butter and peanuts as the main carrier. 
One member noted that there's also distribution in America where one in every five children in America is food insecure. Greg Olson of USDA says in 2014, they have orders for about 3,700 tons of RUSH and also 4,100 tons of RUTF, which is that ready-to-use therapeutic food made with peanut butter. He said the average cost is about $3,500 per metric ton processed. That's about $0.25 per package that the companies have to pay. He said funding from the government is never enough when you're providing hunger for kids, but he is now delivering directly to these companies, and they're delivering directly to the companies overseas because it cuts time, it cuts cost, and the program can buy more products. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast Agnet. Cindy Zimmerman had a story this week on ways to enjoy a real Christmas tree. If you want a real tree for Christmas, but maybe would rather not go to the trouble of getting it yourself, Rick Dungy with the National Christmas Tree Association says there are now some places that will bring the tree to you. It doesn't have to be a hassle. You know, there's a lot of different ways you could buy a tree. There's more and more businesses that are offering delivery and setup and takedown services. Maybe a niche market, but, you know, there are people out there who wouldn't ordinarily get a tree if they didn't know that that was an option. Like, wow, okay, I, I can actually... Basically, I'm renting a tree, and then some businesses even call it tree rental. You know, I can pay somebody, they'll bring a tree to me, put it up in my home, three or four weeks later come and take the thing down and take it away. You can buy direct from the farm now and and have it shipped to you. Buy it right online, direct from a farm. Dungy says there are even fancy new ways to avoid the hassle of watering your tree. These water reservoirs are like, I got a pair at home, they, they look like Santa boots. It's got a tube, basically, that goes into the stand, and it's like a siphon. So, yeah, when the water level starts to go down, it pulls water out of this reservoir and basically refills the stand by itself. You know, that's a good option for people who maybe have to travel for two or three days during the holidays because all that extra water can last while the time that you're out of town for a short period of time. The National Christmas Tree Association has more tips on their website, realchristmastrees.org. I'm Cindy Zimmerman, Southeast Agnet. And we wrap up this week's podcast with Eric Griner looking at ag history. I've been brushing up on my agricultural history from the 16th to the 21st century. One of the first moldboard plows was invented by Thomas Jefferson in 1794. Of course, the first one with changeable parts came in 1819. Wasn't John Deere. His came in 1837. Well, 18 years later, 1841, gave us our first grain drill. Before that, all seed were hand-planted. Barbed wire came along in 1874, while the first water from a deep well was six years earlier in 1820. You know, it took 35 to 40 hours to grow 100 bushels of corn, and that came from two and a half acres of land. Fertilizer use went up continuously. By 1925, farmers were using nearly 7 million tons annually. That trend never stopped. It's just as important today as it was back then. I just thought some of the past might be of interest to you. That's Ag Review for today. Everett Griner, Southeast Agnet. You can hear those reports and more from this past week on our website, southeastagnet.com. And a quick note that due to the upcoming holidays, this will be the last Ag and Review podcast for 2014. We'll pick back up again on January the 10th. So I'm Randall Wiseman for Southeast Agnet, hoping you and your family has a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs>